in dollar industry. So if you want to make some money, get into selling supplements or design some workout plan or something. Because if you go on YouTube, it seems like most of the things are about wellness. The closest thing in the Bible to wellness, that idea of wellness, is shalom, which is peace. But it's much more than just peace, as in your body is comfortable or you're at peace from war. It's a, it's a peace that is conferred on you. It's a gift given by God. Shalom is walking in God's creational norms, being wise. Shalom is not found in the gym or in the latest app or diet. In fact, you can live a short, brutish, and nasty life filled with hardship and adversity like the Apostle Paul and have shalom. By all accounts, Paul was not the poster child for wellness. If you look through the list of things that happened to him, beaten, shipwrecked, drowned, starved, he would not qualify as somebody you wanted to sell your supplements or workout plan. But he experienced shalom. He had peace. He was content in whatever season God placed him in. Shalom is not something you can purchase. It is something that's given to you. It is a gift. In our text this morning, which is going to be part one of a two-part uh, a series on ch- chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, this morning we're going to be looking at Jesus healing the paralytic. Jesus singles in on one man in a sick bay of people who are lame and paralyzed and have been disabled and are experiencing sickness and disease. He goes to them and he finds one man. He singles him out and he asks him, do you want to be healed? And that question, which proves to be much deeper than it appears on the surface, is what we're going to be asking ourselves today. Do you want to be healed? And by healed, we can substitute the word salvation. Do you want to be saved? Do you want to be healed not only physically, but spiritually? Do you want your life to be reintegrated from the disintegration of sin? Do you want to be healed? As we probe the, the depths of this text and we ask the same question, we find that there are three things that are needed that you need to know if you are able to answer that question. You need to know that you are sick. You need to know you need to want to be healed. And you also need to know that you can't heal, save yourself. You need to know that you have a sickness, sin. You need to know, you need to want to be healed, and you also need to know that you can't do it on your own. Let's uh, stand together as we read from the Gospel of John, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 5. We stand out of reverence for the Word of God, but particularly because we are reading from the Gospel. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. 
and these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, we are in awe at your loving kindness and your mercy towards us. Father, open our eyes to behold wonders out of your word. Deepen our affections for the Lord Jesus Christ. May we see your glory shining in his face, even as we look at this text this morning. For we pray this in his name, and amen. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus, as I said, goes to a particular place where he knows that sick will be there. And this takes place during some feast. He doesn't tell us exactly which feast, what's going on in the situation. But last week we were in Cana and Galilee, and now we have found ourselves back down in Jerusalem. And the, which feast it is does not matter. That will be important when it comes to chapter 6. But here in verse 5, this text is mainly about Jesus' con- confrontation with the religious ruling elite over the Sabbath. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that situation of confronting what has been uh, used uh, not for the good of man, but for the good of a few, the religious ruling elite, the Sabbath was made for man. And Jesus wants to confront the idolatries that have crept in. But I want to look this morning at the same portion of text that we'll look next week and when we talk about the Sabbath. And I want to focus in on this question that we're asking, do you, do you want to be healed? Jesus finds a man who is in a desperate situation. Now, to us, 38 years might seem young. I know because I'm 39, so it must be still young. But... 38 for somebody in the first century is a lifetime. Their life expectancy for a male in the first century in Israel is only 37. This man has already outlived most people. And all of that time has been spent as a paralytic, as somebody who cannot walk. And you can imagine, and we'll talk more about what that entails later on. And Jesus finds him. He finds him and he asks him a question. And as he asks him a question, he then, 
The man gives a rambling response that doesn't really answer the question. And then Jesus says, get up, take up your bed and walk. And the man gets up and he walks and he takes up his bed and he leaves. He doesn't even recognize who has healed him. And then when the Jews confront him because he's probably dancing through the temple with his bed on his shoulders, they confront him over not the healing, but his violation of the Sabbath, which, as I said, we'll talk about next week. And then they confront him and he doesn't even know who healed him. Finally, Jesus goes and finds him in the temple and he says something to him that if it wasn't on the lips of Jesus, we would think would be heresy. But coming from Jesus, we we know it can't be. And he says, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man goes away from there and he he goes and finds the Jews who had confronted him and he, he says, I know who healed me. It was Jesus the question, and being able to answer the question, you have, to, you have to know that you are sick. You need to know that you are sinful. Now, can you imagine being paralyzed for 38 years without the comforts of our modern world? There's no ADA. There's no standards for how to treat somebody in this condition. Many paralytics have lost control of their bodily functions below their waist. They rely on people to care for them. They're often, they smell because of their own excrement. It's a challenging and difficult situation to be. And Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? Of course I want to be healed. Why would I not want to be healed? But Jesus You see, Jesus is after more than just wellness. He wants him to have shalom. He wants him to be at peace with God. He wants him to be more than just physically healed. He wants the condition that led to his disability to be healed. And that's why when he finds him again at verse 14... And he says, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. He is trying to get him to understand it's not about walking. It's not about recovering your physical strength. It's about more than that. We need to to stop and ask ourselves a question. How can Jesus say this when just a few chapters later in a very parallel account, Jesus will say something much different. John is a master storyteller, and he often sets up contrasts. And here in chapter 5 is a paralytic who's healed by Jesus on the Sabbath, which sparks the anger and ire of the religious ruling elite. And again, in chapter 9, there is a blind man who is healed on the Sabbath. And if you will remember, at the very beginning of that story, his disciples are walking with him, and they see the blind man, and they say, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? You see, they're thinking like Job's friends. And he responds in verse 3 of chapter 9, 
It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus, are you contradicting yourself? Which is what liberal scholars will point to. This must not even be Jesus' statement. For he says, go and sin no more lest something worse happen to you. What's going on here? What is going on? Why does Jesus give us these two contrasts with these two people who are healed on the Sabbath with two very different responses? One is to show us, we need to ask ourselves the question, what is the relationship between sin and sickness? And has Jesus read Job? Well, there are two things. First, we need to, we need to look at the genesis of sickness. Where does sickness come from? And then second, we need to talk about judgment for actual sins. First, where does sin originate or where does sickness come from? And of course, it comes from the fall. It is a product of the curse. When God told Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they took the fruit and they ate it, they broke covenant with God. And God had promised them, and then the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And of course, death has, has two aspects. For they didn't die immediately. What happened? Well, they were cut off. They were separated from covenant relationship with God, which is a kind of death. And then their physical bodies were, would begin the process of disintegrating as they moved closer to the grave. There was a physical aspect to death and there was a relational aspect to death. When God promised that they would die, he cut them off from his presence. Life is found in the presence of God. He breathes into them his breath and they live. When he moves away from them, they die. Sin or sickness and disability come because we are not in fellowship, we are not in relationship with God. It comes as a product, as a result of our original father, Adam, and his fall into sin. Because all of us are related to him by covenant, we suffer the same consequences as him. Relational death, born Dead, separated from God, and physical death. We are all trending towards the grave. But that is true for every person born on this earth. But not all people are sick. Not all have disabilities. And here, there is another aspect of the relationship between sickness and sin. And that is judgment for actual sins. And here we need to be very, very careful. We need to tread lightly. The story of Job's three friends is that when they saw the afflictions that he suffered from, when they saw that all of his family was destroyed, that he lost his livelihood, and that his very body was struck with boils, they pointed at him and they said, it must be because of you have sinned. It must be that you have done something against God. And Job, throughout the entirety of the book, maintains his innocence. 
And then God comes and he vindicates Job by saying that he was innocent, but he had misjudged even God. And he doesn't give him an answer in the end for why he was suffering from the afflictions that he experienced. It wasn't judgment for his sin. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a relationship between sickness and sin. That doesn't mean that when someone does become sick or there is disability, that there isn't a reason. Those two things are not always true. Probably the clearest example is sexual sin. The results of sexual sin, promiscuity outside of marriage, is often in STDs or AIDS or some other form of disease or sickness. The results of obesity, of sin, of overeating, of being a glutton, results in judgment in the body with diabetes and other diseases. Right? So we know that there are instances where our actions are judged by God in the result of physical sickness and disease. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 28 in the curses. The Lord will send on you curses and confusion and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perished quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat and with drought and with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. You see, the result of Israel breaking covenant with God often resulted in sickness and disease. Paul says, As they come to the Lord's table, there are many who are getting drunk, who are going ahead, who have neglected the unity of the body of Christ. And Paul says that some of you are sick and some have even died. There is judgment for actual sins. Not just the sins that we inherit from our Father, but those sins that we commit often result in physical judgment. But here is where we need to be very careful. We are not omniscient. We are not Jesus who sees this man paralyzed for 38 years. He sees to the very core of him. Why? Because he created him. He knows his end from his beginning. He can judge the sin in this man's life. And you and I cannot. We cannot say, oh, you have a headache? Probably because you sinned. We don't know. And we need humility when it comes to trying to judge these kinds of things. Men are historically very bad at attributing motives to things. We saw this a lot when 9-11 happened, right? Pastors were all very clear, this is God's judgment. And it may well have been. But did they know for sure? Should they have been more cautious than we should have? You see, the point that Jesus is making to his disciples in chapter 9 is that you don't know. This is for the power of God to be on display. And in chapter 5, Jesus does know. 
He does know because he sees the very heart of this man. And I'm inclined to think that the sin that Jesus talks about is the generic sin that all of us are under. The sin that we've inherited from our father Adam. But in either case, we don't know because it's not told us. But there's a further layer that complicates the situation. This man is an Israelite. He's being found in the temple, suggest he was a circumcised member of the covenant people of God. By asking the question, Jesus asks and examining his response, it's clear that he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what Jesus is trying to draw him into. And that is a characteristic of all of that generation. Jesus came to his own and his own rejected him. The common problem that Jesus faced over and over and over again is that the Jews were not looking for a savior. Not in the sense that you might think. The Jews prided themselves on being righteous. They had kept the Torah. They were righteous. They were looking for the Messiah to come back to vindicate them. To say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my kingdom. They were looking for vindication that they had been faithful. And Jesus says, I didn't come to bring, I didn't come for those who are well. I came for those who are sick. I came to seek and to save the lost. And then Jesus preached, repent. And they said, Of what? What do I need to repent of? I am righteous. I'm I'm a part of the covenant. Abraham is my father. I've kept the Torah. I'm righteous. What do I need to repent of? You need to repent, Jesus. The problem that Jesus faced with the Jews is the problem that faces all of mankind. Not only do we not know that we are sick, we insist that the opposite is true. We are well. We're well. We're living our best life now. And this is perhaps the greatest challenge facing the church in her evangelism today. People do not know that they are sick. They don't know that they need a physician for their soul. We have, we have even helped the world by scrubbing the language of sin from our vocabulary, even in the church. If you go to a big big Eva church, you're going to hear more talk about brokenness. My brokenness. You're going to hear about being disintegrated, just needing to be reintegrated again. Both of those things are true, but they're not exclusively true. Sin is an offense against a holy God. Brokenness is the effect of sin. That's what happens downstream of sin. You might be broken, but that's a product of your rebellion against God. We can talk about both, but we cannot talk about brokenness at the exclusion of sin. Jesus died to pay for your sin, to remove its guilt and shame, but in doing that, he also reintegrated you. He is making you whole, putting you back together. Both are true. But if he had not dealt with sin, you would remain 
broken, without integration. And unless a person recognizes their sin and sees that they are sinful, then Jesus' question will always go over their head. Like this man, they'll miss the import of the question and mumble things like, well, yeah, I want to be healed, but I I can't get into the water. Modern man is no different when asked his response. Well, yeah, I want to be well. I just haven't found the right method yet. I know it's in that, that next book. I just haven't read it yet. Modern man has not only scrubbed sin from vocabulary, but God and any spiritual or transcendent other to which they might be accountable to. Therefore, wellness is always framed in terms of this life. It's always physical only. We need to point people to the fact that it's much more. But it's not just that you need to know you are sick. You also need to want to be healed. Beyond, Beyond knowing that you need to be healed. You have to want it. Do you want to be healed? We pointed out earlier that on the surface this seems absurd. Of course he does. But does he? Think about about all the things that we resist in our lives so that we can ward off change. We're afraid of it. He is his disability. It has become his identity. And I doubt in the first century that they looked at him any differently. Right? We are downstream from that with all the benefits of Christian values. So we have compassion and equality and secular humanists don't know why we have those qualities, but we do have them and so we view people as persons even despite their disabilities. But I doubt that was the case in the first century. They saw this man as disabled. That's who he was. He could never be anything different than that. He didn't see him as a whole person, worthy of dignity. And of course, he could have grown accustomed to the care of others and feared doing things on his own or maybe even feared loneliness. What if if I am healed, I might not have anyone in my life. People also may not want to be forgiven of sin. It seems like a strange thing to say, but Augustine prayed, Lord, make me chaste but not today. Lord, make me chaste, but just wait a little bit longer. Lord, help me with my food addiction, but not till Monday morning. Lord, help me with my pornography addiction, but just let me look at this one more site. We're often not ready to be forgiven. Because we want to hold on to our sin. We want to keep it for a little bit longer. Let me just wait. Jesus didn't come back today. He probably won't come back tomorrow. I have time. I can wait. Jesus asked, do you want to be healed? Yes. Would have been a a good answer. By this man. You can, you can tell somebody's lying when they stretch out the words. There's a lot of them. All that Jesus was looking for was a yes. And this man said, Well, yeah, but I tried. I tried to get down to the pool, but nobody will take me. And then when I get down there, nobody will put me in. So 
Yes, but with a lot of qualifying, that makes me kind of the victim. It's not really my fault that I'm not healed. It's other people. And, and of course, we, we understand the bitterness. He's helpless and dependent on other people, and people are cruel and self-centered. So we think, rightly so, this guy's bitter. 38 years of this condition. I doubt I would be any different. And after a while, this man probably just stopped praying. God's repeated no became a permanent no, which morphed into unbelief and a willingness to mix in some superstitious folk religion, which I was going to have a whole section on talking about why there's no verse 4. You might think, well, the ESV can't count. It goes from 3 to 5. They can count. It's, it's usually in a note in your, in your Bible, but we're not going to have time to talk about that today. Please, if you're interested in why there's no verse 4, come and talk to me afterwards. See, this man may not have wanted to be healed. And it's important for us to recognize that if we are going to answer this question, we have to be able to respond by saying, yes, I want the forgiveness that comes from Jesus, and I want all of the implications of that, which means my death to sin and my living to Christ. We have to count the cost, in other words. But you also need to know that you can't heal yourself. You see, this man is primed to receive healing for he has exhausted all the means of saving himself. He's tried to get down to the water, which is probably like a mineral bath that's fed with a spring from underneath. And when it bubbles up, all the minerals get spread up. And after time, people thought that it must be an angel stirring that. You see, unlike us moderns, the pre-modern world always looked for supernatural explanations for everything. We always look for natural explanations for everything. Let me tell you, there's a good middle ground there, right? Sometimes God lets you come to the very edge of trying to save yourself so that you are exhausted before he shows you the way. Before he shows you that only I can save you. Physical wellness is good, but it's not enough. And I think if this story would be in our modern age, we have almost limitless faith in science and technology. We believe the myth of progress. We think that a paraplegic is just a problem for today. But tomorrow, I'm sure they'll have fixed that. And that's because we think of problems in terms of physical wellness instead of spiritual, instead of embodied souls, instead of people who need the forgiving grace of Jesus Christ. The thing that has frustrated the hubris of man since the beginning is that he is helpless to save himself. Try as he may to recross the chasm that separates you from God. You cannot do unless you die. And only one man has ever successfully come back from death and been untouched by it. Try as we may, we cannot save ourselves. And the one who has given power over death by his father is Jesus Christ. In verse 21 of of this very same chapter, 
He says, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He has Himself doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. Jesus is the one who has life in Himself and can give that life. That has not stopped man from trying to find his own way. History is filled with stories of men who have invented gods that will save them and then have sold them to the public. This will save you. Pay me. $29.95. Right? But despite all the money in the world, all the technology, all the education, all the medicine, despite the greatest philosophical minds, the greatest warriors, the greatest politicians, no one can lead us out of sin and death. Therefore, none of those things can truly make us well in the sense of shalom. That is apart from an intervention of God himself. Jesus later in this chapter says in verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Those who hear will have shalom. Those who live will have wellness that extends beyond the physical world to the spiritual. He has not revealed this to them yet, but in order for Jesus to secure that kind of eternal life, He has to die in their place as their substitute. And Israel should have known that. They should have seen it every time they went to a sacrifice and a lamb was slain. They should have seen it every time they put their hands on the goat and it went out into the wilderness as a substitute for them. They should have read in the prophets when it talked about the Messiah. But they missed it. Or they were in denial about it. And the paralytic obviously missed the point. As he scurries off, no doubt overjoyed to go and worship in the temple. And you think, well, that's, that's good. He should. The real temple was right there. The Son of God. The Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. He went away from him to go to the temple. He missed Jesus, the worst thing that would come upon this paralytic where he to continue in sin would be eternal separation from God forever and ever. There's nothing worse than that. There's nothing worse than a separation that you can never come back from. Do you want to be healed? Can you answer that question? Do you know your condition apart from Christ? Do you desire the salvation that He freely offers? And do you know that that salvation is found only in Him? If you don't, then today is the day of salvation. Put your trust in Christ. See your need for His cleansing blood and give up your foolish efforts to save yourself. Come and rest in His finished work on the cross. Come and find shalom in His forgiving grace. Maybe you have trusted Christ. And Jesus asked you, baptized believer, pew dweller, Sunday service goer, do you want to be healed? 
that you're continuing to trifle with sin. Let me remind you that the wages of sin are death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as Paul said in 1 Timothy 4, 8, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life that is to come. Don't labor for physical wellness and forget to exercise your faith. What I mean is, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are so aware as we've held up the mirror of your word of our lost condition, of our great need for a Savior. We're aware, Father, that we need to be healed. We need the shalom that comes from Christ alone. We are aware, Father, that we cannot save ourselves. Many of us have tried. We've exhausted every resource. And it's led us nowhere. Oh, Father, let us come this morning to the fountain of living water to drink deeply from the wells of salvation. And Father, grant us that peace that surpasses all understanding as we trust in Christ, as we recognize our need of Him, as we cry out to Him to save us. We pray this in His strong name. And amen.